0: Welcome to Modern Dogma, a Christian considering today's ideas. I'm your host, Elias. All right, everyone, welcome to the inaugural episode of my podcast. Thanks for tuning in, all three of you. I want to start by giving a very quick introduction to the show to orient you all, the listeners. So, first of all, I want to make clear that this show, just like the introduction stated, is a show made by a Christian speaking from a Christian worldview aimed at fellow Christians. So the assumption I'm going to be talking from is that the Bible is God's perfect, inerrant, sufficient word, and through the lens of the Bible, we can see reality for what it actually is. So I don't believe the Bible has any mistakes um, when it is read in its proper context, and that's really going to be the driving Principle upon which all of my opinions are uh, based. So, if you don't share that assumption, there's probably, honestly, very little we're going to be in agreement about. Um, You're welcome to stick around and listen. In fact, I invite you to do so. But just telling you off the bat, I'm not really having a conversation with you. So, let's talk about uh, what the show is about. The name of the podcast, Modern Dogma, really encapsulates what I hope to accomplish here. You see, Whether or not we realize it, the world is constantly pushing various dogmas or truths that are just assumed. They're not proven. They don't provide any evidence to demonstrate that. In fact, as I hope we'll see as the show progresses, the vast majority of the time, a correct interpretation of the facts actually disprove these uh, worldly teachings. And yet these dogmas are just repeated ad nauseum on our Instagram feeds, Facebook, TV, mass media, everywhere. Now, as believers of the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised or disappointed when the world peddles falsehoods and thinks in often such absurd ways. But what we need to do as Christians is to filter everything the world teaches us through the lens of Scripture, think critically, think clearly about it, and discern reality for what it really is. So I'll be the first to say at the outset, I'm still coming along in my ability to discern truth, as we all are, constantly growing in wisdom with God's help. But I hope this podcast provides a bit of help from the little bit I know of how to think through some of the most important ideas of our times. I hope it'll be helpful. I think I'll sometimes bring a biblical principle or passage to mind that you may not have thought of applying to a particular situation. And I think some of the topics we'll cover will be interesting to you. So alright, let's get into today's episode. I'd like to be the one millionth person here today adding yet another opinion into the noise regarding the topic of racism and particularly address the topic of systemic racism, which is quite the trendy buzzwords these days. So I'm a little bit self-deprecating here because, to be honest, I do find obnoxious our current-day social media phenomenon where it seems like every single person feels a compulsive need to subject the world to their own special little opinion at all times, in every occasion. Uh, So anyway, that's exactly what I'm going to do to you right now. And on a serious note, the confidence I draw from to do this is, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter to us as Christians what other human beings think about things, per se. Opinions only really matter if it's an opinion that tries to speak God's opinion, as revealed in the Bible. So, to do that, I'd like to interact with a social media post I've seen written by a professing Christian, I think, getting a little bit of traction that talks about the issue of systemic racism. Now, when I say it's getting traction, I mean relative to things written on this topic from a Christian perspective. Because anything written from an even remotely religious perspective just gets drowned out by the tsunami of secular opinions, as we know. So, in all likelihood, you've probably never seen this social media post. By the way, I don't know who this person is. Uh, It just kind of, I saw it on my friend's wall. But the reason I'd like to interact with this post is because I actually thought this post was a very intelligent, well-articulated example of a common wrong take on racism, systemic racism, and how we Christians ought to be interacting with our culture today on issues of injustice. I'm not going to deal with or quote from the entire post for the sake of time. And also, I'm going to keep this person anonymous. I'm just going to call him DC, which is just part of his social media screen name. And I'll be referring to DC as male, but DC may or may not be a man. I mean, the point of this isn't to pick on this person. To be frank, he sounds like a very thoughtful person, so I just want to make this interaction as impersonal and anonymous as possible. I want to deal with the ideas DC is espousing. That's the point here. So the post starts as follows, quote, Racism is a heart issue and only Jesus can change people's hearts. Let's talk about why this is wrong, end quote. If you attend church in any capacity, I am going to guess you've heard this exact sentiment at least once, probably by your pastor, probably during a sermon, that racism is a heart issue and only Jesus can change the heart. Now, what we're going to discover in a second is that DC is going to contradict himself. He does actually believe, like the Bible clearly teaches, that individual hearts can only be changed by God's intervening grace. So, I guess he wanted to start with a clickbaity opener or something. But DC's argument is going to be that even though the hearts of individuals can only be changed by God, the heart of society as a collective can be changed by human action, particularly the human actions of social justice advocates. So, there's a hidden assumption here we need to recognize. The assumption is that even though individuals can only be radically changed from being a racist to becoming a Christian by God's grace, when you take enough individuals and put them together and form a society or form an economy or form a system, suddenly we human beings by our power can change that large group of humans. In other words, we can change the system. DC believes that even though we as humans are powerless to fundamentally change the mind of one person, we can somehow magically fundamentally change the mind of a million persons when they are acting as a group, as in a society, or economy, or culture. Let me ask a rhetorical question here. Does that sound plausible? I mean, it's hard enough trying to change one person's mind, DC and I are on the same page, actually, that we don't have the power to change an individual's mind. Only God can do that. When you're having a debate with your atheist friend, and if that rare situation happens where he actually says, You know what? I think you're right. I need to believe in Jesus and be saved. We recognize immediately that what just occurred is a miracle. We recognize that we didn't change our friend's mind. God did. Yet, where we disagree is I recognize that if I am powerless to fundamentally change one racist person's mind without God's help, what hope do I have in my power to fundamentally change a racist society, a million racist people, let alone one racist person? Well, let's continue with D.C.'s argument. Quote, the idea of heart issue assumes that racism is only individual hate that never extend beyond people's hearts. Untrue. Racism is systemic and embedded in our governance, economy, and legal system. Humans created the system. They built the system around their racist beliefs. Even if an individual is not racist, the racism persists in the system." End quote. So actually, I more or less agree with this statement. I think this is an important point that I've been finding a lot of my more politically conservative Christian friends reflexively rejecting. That'll actually be another episode where I want to discuss some of the wrong ways of thinking about racism I think politically conservative Christians are finding themselves stuck in. But DC makes a fairly solid point here that I think it's important to bear in mind. The present world is an evil place. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 states that Satan and the forces of evil are the God of this world that blinds the minds of unbelievers, God with a lowercase g. But nonetheless, the true God has given the devil a limited reign over this age and over our systems of government. This is why Jesus states that we are not to love the world or the things in the world. And in fact, Jesus goes on to say that if anyone loves the world, The love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John 2.15. The world system is corrupt and fallen and full of evil, systemic evil. And for my conservative brothers and sisters out there that say you believe the word of God, I say back with gentleness, you're contradicting yourself. If you state on the one hand that the world is evil and we should hate it, yet at the same time reflexively deny the likelihood that America today still suffers from systemic racism. Now, I don't know what national context D.C. is speaking from, but I'm going to assume he's American uh, just because of his screen name. So I'm going to speak from that perspective. If we Christians believe 2 Corinthians 4.4, we should expect America actually to be systemically racist. In fact, D.C.'s charge here doesn't go far enough. We should expect America to be systemically full of every kind of evil, not just racism. That seems to be the only form of injustice the politically liberal Christians like to talk about and emphasize. But the implications of the Bible should guide us to expect evil and injustices of every form to be embedded in the fabric of secular society and government. So D.C. makes a fair point But here's where it gets off the rails. Quote, Humans created the system. They built the system around their racist beliefs. Then DC insists, Humans can change the system. End quote. Is that really true? Once again, if we can't change the mind of one racist person without God's miraculous help, how are we leaping to the absurd conclusion that we can change a racist system that is composed of a thousand, ten thousand? a million racist people. There's this assumption by DC that a system is some abstract nebulous idea, that it's in an entirely different category from individual people, such that you can change systems in a way that's different from changing people. But a system, a society, a culture is nothing more than a lot of individual people, as well as all the complex interactions between them. So I ask again, are we really to believe that we can change the world system, the course of history, for the better? Oh, we can certainly change the course of history for the worse. We can start world wars. We can burn down Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. We can make it legally permissible to murder millions of unborn children. By the way, notice I'm using the word we to describe these atrocities. Not white people burning down Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not liberals murdering millions of unborn children. Not Nazi Germany inciting World War II. Us. Humans. If we want to play identity politics today, by the way, that'll be another episode where we define what that is. But for those of you know the term, if we want to play identity politics, if we want to play the intersectionality game, let's all take ownership of the true biblical class of identity we all belong to, sinful human beings. Let's not pretend we're such perfect people that are so much better than the serial killers on death row. Let's stop lying to ourselves. We directly, personally, contribute to making this world a worse place to live in for everyone. All of us perpetuate systemic evil of every kind. Not just white people, not the oppressor class. You, me, we are the problem with the world today. Us. And that's why Jesus had to die for us. That's why Jesus needs to come back and create a new world. That's the hope we look to as Christians. If you're willing to accept the fact that Jesus died for your sins, you need to accept the fact that you helped perpetuate the systemic injustice of our world. I don't care what color your skin is. You are all guilty. I'm guilty. In fact, God says emphatically in Romans three, none is righteous, no, not one. So yes, we can certainly change the system, but to make it look a lot more like us, vile sinners. But D.C. is insisting we can change the system for the better. He argues, quote, We used to have a system of racism called Jim Crow that included segregation and lynching. Did we wait for Jesus to change the hearts of all the racist people upholding that system? No. Civil rights activists fought against it, many losing their lives, and the Civil Rights Act, among others, was signed into law, end quote. This point right here shows the all-too-common myopic, short-sighted view of history we 21st century Westerners adopt. We seem to have the sense that our point of view as contemporary Americans defines all of human history with zero regard for the fact that our nation and our version of human society is but a blip on the vast scale of human civilization. Because the truth of the matter is, for the overwhelming majority of human history, the secular world's standard for good and evil uniformly contradicted our most cherished contemporary American values. Slavery, in particular, was the simple assumed reality of civilization until very, very recently. For most of world history, you did not even think to conceive of a world where human beings did not own other human beings. Because it was not a self-evident truth that people shouldn't be owned. Why not? My tribe is stronger than his tribe, and I'm really sick of harvesting my own wheat, why can't I enslave them? Yeah, it straight up sucked to be a slave. And you had slave revolts, but you never revolted because One of your slave friends was passing out a humanitarian leaflet going, Comrade, our enslavement is the artifact of a system of injustice that perpetuates the myth that men are unequal and we must rise and violently uphold our rights. No, nobody made that argument. Nobody talked about equal rights or whatever. Why is it that modern Western civilization believes segregation is wrong? Please don't hear me incorrectly. Segregation is wrong. (laughs) But I'm asking... Where does our sense of the self-evident wrongness of segregation, of the self-evident wrongness of lynching come from? Why do we just assume racism and slavery is wrong? Is it because we waited around thousands of years and then one day a civil rights activist was born with just an innate radical idea out of nowhere that, hey, wait a minute, I don't think racism is correct. I should probably tell somebody about this. Where did this radical modern idea of individual human liberty come from? The Bible, God's word. The foundation of equality between men was founded on God's teaching of man. Listen to the rationale behind the Declaration of Independence, for example. It goes, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The truth is, that the idea that all humans are equal is not self-evident in a philosophical vacuum. I mean, just look around you when you go back out in public in 2022. When we look with secular eyes, the self-evident fact seems to be that people are different. Some tall, some short, some dark-skinned, some light-skinned, some athletic. Some can hardly tie their shoes together without falling over themselves. Difference is what you initially see without eyes of faith. Yet this crazy idea that all these different-looking people are actually ultimately the same in the most important way came about because God said so. And what God said received a large hearing in Western civilization through the massive spread of Christianity. The work of civil rights activists was and continues to be built upon the foundation of a fundamental paradigm shift in our collective anthropology, our doctrine of man, due to God's hand. So when D.C. states, we made a system of injustice and we didn't wait for Jesus to come change it. We took matters into our own hands and signed more just laws. It's an eminently arrogant statement that has no understanding of the context of most of human history. We weren't supposed to believe in inalienable civil rights. We weren't supposed to think racism and slavery and segregation are inherently immoral acts. Our thinking changed as a collective society in just the past few hundred years, super recently, because God directly intervened in His grace. Society and systems of injustice never improve without God mercifully interfering with our natural trajectory towards greater systemic injustice. And make no mistake, this strange and radical blip of righteousness that used to be a Western civilization grounded in Christian influence, will not last. Jesus tells us ahead of time in Luke 17, 26, and verse 30, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. If you go back to Genesis 6 and take a look at what Noah's days look like, it's described like this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an amazing statement. We have rare moments of clarity today. We have rare moments of righteousness in modern Western society where every once in a while, our government and our people think and do the right thing. Most of the times accidentally, but still. In Noah's days, and in the future days before Jesus' return, it'll only be evil, 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 evil racism, racism, racism all the time. In fact, in my personal speculative opinion, I think before Jesus comes back, we'll see wholesale slavery again. Largely the reason I say that is because you see in Revelation 18 that when the evil city of Babylon is destroyed, John notes that all the merchants of the earth are mourning because this great treasure trove of trade and commerce is no more, and their businesses are destroyed. And John describes Babylon as a center for the trade of gold, silver, jewels, spices, and then in verse 13, slaves, human souls. I mean, we still have a slavery today that's largely underground, and maybe that's what this is referring to, but I think we may see overt slave trading again before the Lord's return when the world has rid itself of the last vestiges of Christian influence in their thinking. I mean, slavery was the default for humanity for most of time. Why wouldn't we go back to it after we finally reject everything that has to do with God? So the fact that D.C. gives no credit here to the spreading of God's word that teaches that men, in spite of how obviously different they seem, are actually equally made in God's image, and the fact that D.C. gives no credit to the church's work of evangelism and discipleship that was the primary means of spreading that message, and instead the fact that D.C. credits the civil rights movement, which was largely secular in its outlook, is preposterous. It's man-centered, contemporary-centered, Western-centered arrogance. As much as the civil rights movement fought for the right things, they fought based on an ideology shaped either explicitly or implicitly by God. So when D.C. states sarcastically, did we wait for Jesus to change the hearts of all the racist people upholding that system of injustice? Uh, yes, we did. We absolutely did. <laughs> now here we get into another problematic aspect of DC's argument, where he starts strawmanning people that rightly point to racism being a heart issue that God has to solve. He states, quote, "We can't force heart change. We can't change the hearts of people who rob banks or commit arson or kidnap kids, but we still make laws about it." We still try to protect banks and buildings and kids. How stupid would we sound if we said, well, kidnapping is a heart issue, so let's not make any laws about that. By pushing an idea that anything we do is worthless, only Jesus can make change, we are persuading people not to act." Quote. When biblically-minded Christians like myself point to the fact that the ultimate solution for racism is Jesus changing people's hearts, that does not mean that we are then saying, do nothing when you see injustice in society. Just let go and let God. Don't try to change the laws. Oh, you see that black man being lynched? Just stand idly by and watch it happen. Now, I will grant that there is probably among the billions of people on earth, some random person out there living in his law cabin in Arkansas, alone with his Bible and ham radio that actually has this stance. But I actually attend a sizable, very politically and theologically conservative church. The bulk of my friends are very conservative and vote Republican. I've attended a conservative evangelical Christian conference with thousands of conservative Bible-believing Christians. All this to say, I am speaking with intimate familiarity of the people that hold this position that racism is a heart issue and Jesus has to ultimately fix it. And guess what? None of us is then arguing based on that fact that we shouldn't attempt to have sinful laws change for the better. So I guess my response here is really, DC, who are you talking to? Who is this post addressed to? Who are these people spouting sound theology on the one hand, and then believe based on that sound theology that we shouldn't protect and love our neighbors? It does sound stupid, I agree, to say, well, we can't change racist people's hearts, so let's just keep letting racist laws stay in place. Where exactly are these idiots that you refer to? What is this demographic that you are targeting? It would appear that what DC considers doing nothing is the work that Bible-believing Christians are actually very busy doing, which is what Jesus told us to be busy doing, which is the work of making disciples. You see, Jesus left one explicit charge after he resurrected from the dead and right before he ascended into heaven. It's recorded in Matthew 28 as follows. Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Pretty big deal. Jesus has total sovereign reign over the course of world history. And how does Jesus want his sovereignty expressed in this age? Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Weird. My Bible has missing verse 21 where Jesus commanded, Go, therefore, and be woke civil rights activists? Look, to be clear, I am not stating it is a sin to be a civil rights activist per se, But D.C.'s attitude here is reflected of so many professing Christians that lean to the political left, that are imposing the sin of apathy on fellow brothers and sisters Mm. they don't believe are culturally engaged enough in the way they define cultural engagement, which is typically through ingesting secular resources on racial injustice, attending political rallies, and aligning themselves with godless civil activist groups. You see, Christians are actually very cognizant of how evil our age and our government is. We are very aware of the fact that we are a city set on a hill, we are a lamp shining in a dark room, and we need to shine that light as brightly as possible. We need to rub shoulders with our culture and influence it for the better. That's why we strive to be so busy in the work of evangelism and discipleship. We all have limited time and resources, When those resources are consumed more by secular political activism rather than the one clearly defined work that Jesus left us with before his ascent to the right hand of God the Father, I have to ask you, what are you doing? Look, I'm not purposefully trying to make anyone feel stupid or embarrassed by saying this. Again, this podcast is me talking to my family, my true brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm pleading with you, though. Why is so much of your energy being put into things that won't permanently reform society anyway. Does that sound like an efficient strategy to you? Does that sound like an efficient allocation of your limited time and resources? Here's a question I want to ask DC and people that hold to DC's position. So the ambition is we need more social and political activism because our goal is to change laws, okay? But where do laws come from? Think about it. Do laws just pop into existence if you post enough BLM hashtags? Laws are made by people. Instead of trying to address the laws, a much more elegant solution is to address the lawmakers that make the laws. And that's the genius of Jesus' Great Commission. If you want righteous, less racist laws, We need to attack the problem by making more righteous, less racist lawmakers. And how about the police that BLM advocates are saying are so systemically corrupt? Well, if you want a reformed police department, we need to reform the police officers through the work of evangelism. If you want a less racist nation, you need to do the hard work of making less racists. Ironically, D.C. states, we can't change people's hearts, so I'm not going to bother trying, and I'm going to throw my time into political activism instead. Who's the one with the defeatist attitude here? Who's the one throwing up their hands and saying, let's not do anything about the real problem? I mean, that's the humbling part of evangelism. We can't produce any of the good fruit We can't produce salvation. 1 Corinthians 3.7 says, it's neither he who plants the gospel message, nor he who waters, only God gives the growth of a converted heart. It's an utterly self-effacing work because unlike civil rights activism, we have to rely 100% on God's power to make any difference. Sinful man feels like he's in control, and he feels like he is actively changing destiny when he's lobbying Congress, when he's voting for woke politicians, when he's organizing a protest. But we have absolutely no control over the process when we're witnessing to our non-believing friend. And yet Jesus knew what he was doing when he commanded us to throw our energy primarily into discipleship, Because it's only in discipleship you actually attack the root of racism that is plaguing our country today. And that's individual people's hearts. Now, before I close, I know I angered some of my listeners here. And when we get angered, we tend to not really listen. I'm as guilty of this as the next person But please, don't overreact against anything that I just said. Please note, I did not say civil rights activism is sinful in itself or there's absolutely no use for it. I said earlier that there were elements of the past civil rights movement where it stood for righteous causes. However, I am arguing that the limited success the civil rights movement enjoyed was because God already did the hard work of stepping in and changing Western culture through Christians evangelizing. Christians built up the righteous pressure of a thousand pounds of bricks on the camel of oppression. The civil rights movement just put that last straw on top that broke the camel's back. And in fact, the beauty of evangelism is you produce better political activists, ones that aren't trying to engage the government and society through worldly means or with worldly ways of thinking. Discipleship produces better politicians. We reveal how man-centered, and how self-important our heart is when instead of crediting God for the unusual righteous reforms modern Western civilization made, we credit civil rights activists. And we reveal how earthly-minded and unbiblical our perspective is when we see the evils of our society and accuse fellow Christians of not doing anything because all they're doing is evangelizing. Thanks for joining me today on Modern Dogma. Men-Er, God is sovereign.